Willoughby Church. Thank you for having me here. Thank you also for leaving these first three rows empty for me so I don't feel crowded up here. No, it's teasing. It's, it's good to be here, and uh, coming here in person gives me a chance to thank you for your support of our, our Christian Reform Campus Ministries work. This is such a strategic mission to the students, staff, and faculty at UBC Okanagan. There's 12,000 students growing every year. And um, I'm just so grateful for the, for the spiritual and financial support of congregations like Willoughby. The offering you take goes a long way. It goes into, the, it goes into my operating budget. So it, it gets used to, to buy small book guides when we have a Bible study or buys a lot of cups of coffee for students. So thank you for that. And um, just two things quickly, just to please keep me in prayer going into this year. It's my sixth year, and I, I should feel like I'm, like I'm kind of an old hand, but it's a very new year in a way for me, which is exciting because it means the campus ministry is expanding. But there's two things that I'm excited and also very anxious about. So please keep these things in prayer. First of all, this is the, this is the first year where uh, I'm, I'm going into September with actual recognition from the university as a chaplain. So this has been something I've been working on for years is getting a chaplaincy program established at the university. And uh, in spite of some considerable resistance, it's finally happened, thank God. And I'm going into this year as, as a kind of officially recognized chaplain. And this gives me all sorts of freedom to, to serve the, the university community better. I don't have to feel like I'm lurking around um, as, a, as a stranger. I'm actually kind of welcomed. So that's exciting. And the second thing is that I'm, I'm going to be teaching a course this year at UBC, which is also uh, a first. And it's a course on the Bible, no less. Um, and this is a small miracle how this course got approved. There was huge resistance to it. Um, but a friend who's, who's a head of department kind of stick-handled my application through. And it means that in January when I start this course, I have, I have access now to 35 to 40 unchurched students where I'm teaching them Bible stories so that they can understand literature better. Uh, and it's just going to be a wonderful opportunity to connect with these unchristian, these non-Christian students, and and share a bit of of Holy Scripture with them uh, in a in a kind of professor-like way. So please keep that in prayer. This is an exciting year for me, and uh, thank you again for for having the vision and the capacity and the enthusiasm to take part in this uh, in this work, God's work, together with me. We've got two scripture passages today. The first is Psalm 57, which we're going to read responsively. And I'm going to start with uh, the fine print, and please respond with the bold print. Have mercy on me, my God. Have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I cry out to God most high, to God who vindicates me. I am in the midst of lions. I am forced to dwell among ravenous beasts. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, that your glory be over all the earth. They dug a pit in my path, but they have fallen into it themselves. 
Awake, my soul, awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. For great is your love, reaching to the heavens, your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Continuing this theme, it will it be of rediscovering the Holy Spirit. Today's New Testament passage is from Paul's letter to the church in Galatia. This is his famous teaching on the fruits of the Spirit. I'm reading from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 26. This is what the Spirit has to say to Willoughby Christian Reformed Church this morning. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading and to the proclamation of his holy word. So recently I, I dropped by an engineering lab on campus to visit a master's student whom I've gotten to know. He's from, he's from Iran. And he invited me to have a cup of tea with him. And I said, sure, we can, we can meet at a cafe on campus and have, and have a cup. And he said, uh, no, no, come by my office. Canadians don't know how to make tea. So, oh, okay, show me how it's done. So it took him 25 minutes to make a cup of tea. And it was perfect. And while it was steeping, we were chatting about differences between Christians and Muslims. He's Muslim. Um, about his homeland and differences between Canada and Iran. So I, I spent a lot of time with international students. And God puts a lot of them in my path. Some of them come into my home, I meet them on campus, um, and they love to talk about what they're experiencing when they come to Canada. They love to talk about their home because they're often feeling a little bit homesick. And when they do, generalizations just fly. You know, back in Iran, we do this. The thing about Nigerians is everybody in China does this, you know, fill in the blank. Canadians can't make tea, generalizations. And this way of talking probably isn't really politically correct, is it? But it's human, right? We, we, want to, we want to belong to a group. We want to identify with a group that is bigger than just you or me as individuals. We want to identify some general traits that show that we belong to this group. Maybe it's shared behavior or a shared history or experience, perhaps even shared taste for a certain kind of food, or a properly, a properly prepared cup of tea. I'm hearing a lot of feedback. Is it just me? Is it okay? I'll just keep going. So God, God's people, too, have certain traits, certain behaviors that mark us as a distinct people. We have a, a unique history, 
It's a story told in scripture. And through the spirit, we have a common faith, a baptism, one Lord. And all over the world right now, God is drawing to himself through the spirit a people who, despite all our difference in diversity, share a common life in Jesus Christ. In fact, by God's grace, what we share together through his spirit is, a, is, is, is union in Christ. We share in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, in his very life. A life of abounding joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, and self-control. Now the apple shouldn't fall far from the tree, as they say. So it's people who are in Christ, and as our scripture said, keeping in step with the Spirit, we're bearing his fruit in our lives. And this visibly marks us as his own. So the fruit of the Spirit, what we read about today in scripture, it's kind of like the, like the national traits, our values as Christians. Sometimes international students ask me, you know, I've heard something about these Canadian values. What are those exactly? And I'm never quite sure what to say. I don't, I don't know what those are. But I, I, know what, I know what we value as God's people. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is who God declares us to be in Jesus Christ. And this is who we are called to be, made to be through his spirit. So when people look at a church like this one, they should see Christ-like fruit. Maybe it's, maybe it's ripe and lush, or maybe it's small and green and just starting out, but they should see it. And as God's people, we want to be cultivating this fruit, which means we want to be very jealous about cherishing the fruit of the spirit Living in the Okanagan Valley the last couple of years, you get to know a little bit about fruit. It's very important to us and to our economy. And in the last couple of years especially, we've become increasingly aware of how climate affects fruit. You know, gray, gray skies and a cold spring, and a cold temperatures in the spring uh, affect the, the cherries. And uh, I think in a, in a very similar way, sometimes our cultural climate can threaten or affect the fruit of the Spirit, too. Does this often in imperceptible ways. Did you, know, did you know that thousands of liters of Okanagan wine get flushed every year as undrinkable? One of my student leaders these past years is, uh, is a biochemist, a PhD student in biochemistry, and he, he researches grapes. This is his field. So he was telling me all about his research, and what he was saying is that the grapes hanging on the vine in the Okanagan, you know, we have all these vineyards, and um, they actually, the, the skin actually absorbs smoke that's in the air. And thank God this year we've, we've had a relatively smoke-free year. But in past summers, as you know, we've had this pall of smoke hanging over the Okanagan Valley, and, and the grapes are absorbing that smoke into them. And this doesn't make a problem if you're making grape juice. Fermentation actually unleashes this acrid smoke taste into the wine, making it undrinkable. 
Now, some clever vintners have tried to market this wine as a, as a Pinot Fumi or something like that, but, you know, it's, it's, it's not good. Um, but he was telling me about his research, and I was thinking afterwards, what, what, are, what are we absorbing from the air around us, the cultural air around us? Like grapes on a vine, what sort of bioassimilation is happening to God's people in our culture right now? Maybe without us even realizing it. As sure as cloudy skies and cold temperatures blight fruit on, before harvest and, and smoky air taints grapes on the vine, the fruits of the Spirit might be threatened by the climate around us. And when that happens, God's people become less and less like Jesus. We become more and more like the world. And I think there are many ways this can happen. And one I want to just identify and share with you, because it's something I'm very sensitive to, given the demographic I work with on campus. There's one particular way that the fruit of the Spirit is, is I think, really being affected by our culture. And I, and I observe it working with Gen Z, this younger demographic. And what we're realizing and what studies are showing is that, is that younger people who've grown up in the church and gone to Christian schools, by and large, are adopting a spiritual worldview that is diminishing the Christian faith into which they were baptized. And these are your kids and your grandkids, so you'll care about this. They're you, too, some of you who are here. Sociologists call this MTD. It's up on the slide. Now, this sounds a little academic. You know, hang with me for a second if this isn't your thing. I'll, uh, I, think, I think you'll realize how relevant this is in a minute. You may not have heard this abbreviation before, but you'll have, I think you'll have encountered this kind of spirituality. MTD is what scholars call this, moral therapeutical deism. It's an ugly expression, but it's, it's helpful to unpack. Moral means that in this spiritual worldview, you're not concerned with belief, you're concerned with behaviors, with morals. And the morals themselves are defined by the T, therapeutic. What's good is what helps you feel positive about yourself, what helps you feel affirmed, what helps you be authentic. And the deism, that's the God, he's not really that important in this equation. God is far off, far off. He's not the kind of God who speaks a personal word to us through scripture. He's not a God who interrupts us in Jesus Christ, demanding a response or a decision, a choice. He's far off. He's abstract. And when you put all this together, we have a spiritual worldview which is becoming very dominant among younger generations, which gives priority to being kind and accepting others. And it wants to push out any belief or claim that might bring disunity. It wants to resist anything that might create an us or a them. So you've encountered this, right? You've heard about it. This is a spirituality that is generous, open-minded, loving. And if we do all these things, we'll be happy. We'll have harmony in our society. And like I said, this is, this is becoming a widespread worldview among Gen Z and, and even among other demographics, other generations. And there's major cultural pressures from politics and media that are really pushing and promoting this kind of view. I think there's a temptation for churches like ours, like the Christian Reformed Church, 
that want to speak into our culture, that want to be responsible in our world, to think that if we want to fit in, if we want to be heard, we, have, we might have to adapt our message towards this MTD and remove things that are particular or scandalous about our faith. But I think when we do that, the fruits of the Spirit begin to rot. They get cast as secular values that we share with the dominant culture. I mean, who doesn't like peace or gentleness or generosity or love, right? But for God's people, love and patience and gentleness and joy and the other fruits, we don't get to decide the meaning of those words. Those words are defined for us in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We want to know what peace looks like or love looks like or joy. We don't look out there. We look at Scripture. We look at Jesus Christ, and we learn from him. For Christ's people, chosen in him, fruits and roots can't be separated. The Holy Spirit binds them together. So when we're rooted in Christ, we bear his fruit. There's this vital connection between Jesus Christ, his story, and us. He's making a people who bear his fruit through the Holy Spirit. And this is making us distinct from the world. Not like the world, but distinct from the world. The fruits of the Spirit are gospel virtues, not, not secular values. And there might be some overlap sometimes, but we never want to conflate them. I think our, our confession of faith, our world belongs to God, reminds us well that to follow this Lord, it says, to serve him wherever we are without fitting in, light and darkness, salt in a spoiling world. Earlier in the summer, I bought some, some peaches at a Superstore. They were, they were California-grown peaches. They looked great when I picked them up. They looked like ripe fruit. You, you know how the story ends, right? You've done the same thing. You just can't resist buying them. But when you get home, they're all mealy and bland. But now in August, in the Okanagan, you know what's ripening. The real thing, big, juicy, sun-ripened peaches, the real taste. We don't want to trade in the fruit of the Spirit for pale, secular imitations. We want to remind ourselves regularly through listening to preaching, to the Word, through the sacraments, remind ourselves of the biblical story and root ourselves in the life of Jesus Christ. That's how the Spirit bears fruit, real fruit, His fruit in our lives. Unless we as the church are living out of Jesus Christ, we're going to have nothing worth saying to the culture, to the world at large. So we're called to stand out from the world, from the culture around us, because of the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control that we share in Jesus Christ. But while we stand out from the world, we do not stand apart from the world. These things have to be held together. Because to be God's people, to be chosen out of the world to bear fruit, is in order to bless the world. It's in order to bring God's message to the world that desperately needs to hear it. When we are chosen in Christ to bear his fruit through his spirit, we are part of his work. We are part of his mission. And this is a great and dangerous responsibility. The question always is posed then, well, where is Christ at work? Where is he in our world? Where does he stand? 
I think one of the best answers to this question comes from our African brothers and sisters in South Africa. In the Belhar testimony, which is one of our testimonies of faith in the Christian Reformed Church, the Belhar Confession says, because the church is in Jesus, you can bring up the next slide, church is in Christ, we stand where our Lord stands. It's that simple. It's that dangerous. It's that profound. Where does Jesus Christ stand? He stands for righteousness, for the good. He stands with those who have been wronged. He stands with the brokenhearted. He stands with the sinner. He stands against injustice and lies. Through the Spirit, we are standing where Jesus Christ is standing. And let's be frank, this puts us in some difficult spots, in some dangerous spots. One of the theologians that's influenced me most, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the German theologian, says in, at the beginning of one of his small books, Jesus Christ lived in the midst of his enemies. So Christians too belong, not in seclusion, but in the midst of enemies. There they find their mission, their work. I have that quotation up on the next slide if you want to, if you want to um, forward it. These are powerful words. I believe they're, they're, they're always true. Always true in the sense that we, we're always, as a church, living in the midst of our enemies. This is true when our culture is progressive, but it's also true when our culture is traditional. This is true if our government in Ottawa is liberal or conservative. South of the border, if there's an elephant or a donkey in the White House, we are standing with the lamb, and the lamb was slain by his enemies. This is where the church is, because we belong to Jesus Christ through the Spirit. Where he is, we are. The church finds its mission, its work, in a hostile place, always. How do we survive, then? How do, we, how do we make it? Remember, it's these fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, generosity, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, which mark us as a distinct people. This is what we look like. At the same time, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit are what make it possible for us to live as God's people, among our enemies, in a hostile place, without becoming hostile ourselves. The fruit of the Spirit is not only who we are in Jesus Christ, it's how we are to be in the world. We're to love our community. We're to love our enemies. The first fruit of the Spirit is love, right? We love others. We want to bless them in Christ's name as we have been blessed. And as God's people, we want to speak to the wider culture, but we won't be heard by anyone unless the fruit of the Spirit is evident in our lives, unless we have the patience to listen so hard and the generosity to make space for people who are different than us. We have something important to say in our workplace, in our school, in an online community, a chat room, but we can't say it with rancor or with shrillness. We live out our mission, God's mission, with kindness in word and deed, with gentleness, we're to live peacefully, even with those who disagree with us, those who might deprive us of our rights. Doors shut, voices grow angry, 
drown us out. We're to show joy. Joy, not resentment. In all this, we follow Jesus. We're guided by his spirit. The spirit at work in us to make us more like Jesus Christ, who spoke truth with love and who had steel in his spine, even as his hands were merciful and gentle to the sinner and the brokenhearted. Our divine mission is to bless our community, our neighborhood, our city, our country, our world. And it depends on us being able to live and witness among our enemies without demonizing them or dismissing them, to love them instead and seek their good. The fruit of the Spirit is who we are in Jesus Christ, and it's how we are to be in the world. Let me close with one image that came to me when I was preparing this sermon. My family served, in, served with the Presbyterian Church in Canada in, as missionaries in, in Malawi, in Africa, for four years. And on, on occasion, we had opportunity to visit some of the national parks in nearby countries and view and encounter African wildlife, which was always a thrill for, for me and for our kids. One time we, we went across the border into, into Zambia, into South Luangwa, and we came across a pride of lions that had just killed a Cape buffalo. The sun was going down, and the air was, was heavy with the smell of blood. There was this hum of flies. I can remember it vividly. And our jeep drew close right up into the middle of this pride of lions. They were lying on the grass with bloated stomachs. And we got close, really close. We got this close, right? I, I took this picture out of the side of the, of the Jeep as my youngest daughter's head was buried in my chest for fear. Aren't, aren't we too close? I asked our driver a little nervously. Oh, no, he says. He says, with lions, it's easy to blend in. Just don't do anything to attract their attention. Just sit still. We read in the psalm earlier, I lie down among lions. The psalmist bleats this verse like a little lamb. He's in a place of real risk. He's vulnerable. He is the church surrounded by its enemies. We are lambs among lions. And it's tempting to withdraw entirely. It's tempting to blend in like we might do with MTD. It's also tempting to become aggressive and resentful. But when God's people do either, we stop being faithful to Jesus Christ, who lived in the midst of his enemies and gave his life for them, a lamb among lions. And so a choice presents itself to the church the Holy Spirit poses this church, this, this church and each of us a choice every day. What will we do? Blend in? Withdraw? Become resentful? Become aggressive? Attack? Or will the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control of our Lord Jesus Christ describe not only who we are in Jesus, but how we are to live and work in our families, in our neighborhood, 
in our community, in this broken world that God loves and blesses through us, his people, the church? I think this is the eternal question posed by the Holy Spirit to each and every one of us. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Willoughby Church Sermon Podcast. The Willoughby Church Podcast Network also has podcasts about discipleship, the Heidelberg Catechism, and even a podcast hosted by some of the youth. You can find out more about the Willoughby Church Podcast Network by going to willoughbychurch.com.